Ah, wonderful. So, Leah, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Awesome. Thanks for being on the show yet again. Oh, thanks for having me again. (laughs) Yeah, you and uh, whenever I have a a person who comes on twice, I always uh, create a special guest spot. So Arlene and you and Father Mike Schmitz and like one other person, Icondolo, are the few people that have guest spots with their own little bio and such. So, uh, oh, fun. Thank you. We call we call that the catching foxes bump. Um so <laughs> Luke Luke is out of commission tonight. He's got like 37 things to do and he uh he woke up like with a heart attack and I was like, "Hey man, I, he had to take his anti-stroke medicine." Poor Luke. Poor Luke. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he had a I stroke can't. due to chiropractor. I wonder how many people have had that happen. No. Yeah, he uh, basically the chiropractor popped his neck and caused a small tear and uh, caused a blood clot that led to a stroke. And uh, poor Lukey. Poor, poor Lukey. So he had a stroke, yeah. and now he can't do things like lift weights and stuff like that, which he loved doing. Um, or ride roller coasters. Ride roller coasters. Yeah, throw stuff it's off the bridge. It's a serious issue. It is. I mean, that's yeah. like, that's not, yeah. that's, that's not even, that's crazy. Yeah. That's like yeah. really bad. Yeah, we had a we had an episode on it called Luke's Stroke of Genius because we have to make fun of it while uh, talking about it. But it was it was intense. Basically, if his wife didn't take him to the hospital when she started noticing the first signs, he would have been dead. They said that these are almost always fatal. And uh, one of our our mutual uh, best friend Adam Fazzi, he's a doctor, and he was like, "Oh yeah, those things kill you like in your sleep." And he was sleeping right. late at night, but he just woke up and. She's like, let's just go to the hospital and get you cleared. And they're like, oh, my gosh, she's having a stroke. So, yeah, they uh, so he had to take his anti-stroke medicine because his anxiety was through the roof that was causing his blood pressure to be at stroke level. So poor oh little. Oh, my Lincoln. gosh. I know. I know. Uh, anywho. Anywho. Well, enough about that downer. Uh, <laughs> Luke, Luke, is he's doing well. He's doing well. He's very happy. He says hi to everyone. And he's sad that he can't be here today. Yeah. Wow. I really. St- I really killed it, didn't I? I'm sorry. You did. <laughs> we I did. Mean, you really bombed it, man. Oh. <laughs> kind well, of this has been Catching Foxes, ladies and gentlemen. Good night. <laughs> We're so happy to be here. <laughs> man. But there is good news. There is good news? Yeah, Leah has a book. She has a book? She has yeah. a book. Yeah, I guess compared to Luke's stroke, I don't know how great that is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess we can talk about book, her book. Man, so uh, I guess we can talk about that. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Well, why don't I do a formal introduction? I'll do a formal introduction. So we'll okay. we'll pretend we'll we'll pretend like the past didn't happen at the last three minutes what didn't happen and we'll just say Leah Darrow, a former model and contestant on America's Next Top Model, has a driving passion to inspire women and former stroke victim men to do something beautiful with their lives. She's an international speaker, writer, and host of the Do Something Beautiful podcast, which is a rival to Catching Foxes, and we encourage you not to listen to it. She's the wife of a U.S. Army Green Beret. Never mind. Listen to do whatever she says. And mom to three marvelous, crazy little kids who destroyed her computer. And together they live in the wonderful St. Louis, Missouri. That's right. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I stole it from your, your website. That's pretty. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wrote it. So that's yeah. totally cool. Are you still, is he still a Green Beret? Yes, Ricky's still a Green Beret. He's still a Green Beret. 
he's at, he's an actor Green Bay. I mean, you know, you don't you don't the Green Bay you don't they don't take it away from you. But uh, yeah, no, he's active in the National Guard. So mm. he's out of the big army and he's into a special forces guard unit. And so yeah, he's still active and deploys and jumps out of airplanes and all that fun stuff. I literally wow. thought you were gonna say he's out of the big army and in a little army. It's <laughs> 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 the cutest little army you've ever seen. His name was their little gun. Yeah, I don't know if you can call that cute or some small, but um, yeah, he is in the National Guard, and yes, he is still a Green Beret. Mm, that's awesome. That's awesome. Arlene, how it are you awesome. doing? The last time we talked to Arlene, you were chasing love in all the wrong places. <laughs> <laughs> what? No. No, in all the right places. No, I, the last time we talked, well, you weren't there, but it was the breakup episode. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, that was like no longer chasing love in all the wrong places. That was about making the right decisions. (laughs) It was beautiful. It was it was something beautiful that you did. You did something beautiful. Nice. (laughs) Let me tell you that episode. I that was I think the greatest title of an episode that we've ever done, and I think the title alone carried it into (laughs) into previously unknown download space. The up till that time, it was the fastest and most downloaded episode in Catching Fox's history. It was entitled Arlene Spensley and the $30,000 Breakup. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. Oh, man. I was so Still pleased the, yeah. um, to give you that bump based <laughs> on my mm, sad mm. story. Mm. <laughs> I'm so happy my pain helped you. Yeah. <laughs> Arlene's like Arlene's like the Catholic Taylor Swift. Yes. <laughs> Please break She's up like with someone else. I'm just as dark. I am just as dark. It's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Oh, the old Arlene is dead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I, I do get excited whenever you get into a new relationship because I want the best for you as your friend. And yes. if you break up, you have like 50 blogs ready to go. I can read them and share them with my friends and then exploit it on the, on the show. So I know. Good. I'm always happy to let you. I haven't written anything based on the most recent um, ending. Um, but there's still, there's, at some point, we'll do an episode or something at some point. <laughs> you need to write a book called The Endings. The endings. Yes, I have so many endings. Like, <laughs> they're so good. They're so good. Now, to let you in on something, um, Leah, we were going to do a show called Easier Said Than Done. I still yeah. have the files waiting to be uploaded, but Easier Said Than yeah. Done, and it was on Dating and Other Horror Stories was the tagline. And we were, oh my gosh. before we talked about dating, we were going to each share a dating horror story. And mine was one of my really close friends was in a, or, um, let me rephrase that. A girl that I liked, one of her really close friends was in the military, and I took her on she took she wanted to go see uh We Were Soldiers with Mel Gibson, which is intensely graphic and gory, and she lost her mind screaming and crying in the movie theater. And I just had to sit there, and that that was my dating horror story. Arlene's was my favorite of all. The macaroni and cheese. Yeah, I was like, is it the mac and cheese one? It's yeah. the mac and cheese one. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to retell it? Just a, just, a, just a little quick one. Just a taste. The synopsis is I went to this guy's apartment to break up with him. And after I broke up with him, I was like, I'm a little hungry. Can I make some mac and cheese? And then I made some mac and cheese in his kitchen and I ate it. And then I left. After you broke really, up with him? Yes. It was really his So you broke story, up probably. with him and then you mm-hmm. ate mac and cheese. Yes. Oh, I made Isn't it. Isn't that crazy? And then I ate it while he watched TV. 
Did did you did you wash the bowl or did you just put it in the sink? Um, I'm gonna venture to say that twenty what twenty three twenty four year old Arlene probably just left it in the sink. <laughs> nice, yeah. Nice. It's like hey, and this is what I think of our relationship. <laughs> she's, she's stuck to a bowl, man. <laughs> Deal with it, man. With it. That Arlene. When I first heard that story, I all I thought was, oh, she's a little bit of crazy. She's a little bit of crazy. Who stays there in an apartment? Like you go and get McDonald's like a gentleman. You just get out of the house. No, it was it was nothing. fine. That, mm. It was fine. I really I felt I felt nothing. <laughs> like I felt was, nothing. I this like, poor guy is probably still sitting in his apartment with the bowl still in the sink years later. One like, day, nothing. I can't find nothing love. but hunger. I was just I wanted some food. <laughs> Golly, <laughs> Leah, do you have a do you have an awesome breakup story? Too many. Way too many, too many, too many, like disturbing ones and funny ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, broken hearts and broken I legs. I'll, I know there's, I mean, um, I have some like pre-conversion, terrible breakup stories and involve like me with a beer pouring it over someone's head. And then I have post-conversion breakup stories that are a little bit more, you use um, wine. <laughs> right. And a little more tame. So uh, I, I have my fill. Let me just put it that way. I, I have too many stories and those poor men. Those poor poor me men. too. Because some of them were just terrible. But, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. That's totally cool, man. It's over. It's over. I'm totally over it. You're to- I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> I can tell. Uh, of course. Everybody's got it. Well, I don't say everybody, but lots of people have, you know, breakup stories and crazy ones you hear. I think I'm probably the story that a lot of people tell. Like, I saw this girl once. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're the crazy breakup girl. That's <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes crazy just finds me, you know. And so yeah. it was a situation. Okay, I will share this one. I was in a situation where I was dating somebody. And um, prior to conversion. And so I was dating somebody and like all of his friends had like this uh, one friend was actually jealous and wanted to date me. So he was trying to sabotage the relationship, but he was sabotaging it, not really to even uh, date me, but just so that I wouldn't be with his friend. Ugh. And mm-hmm. there's just a lot of dysfunction. And so he went and told all of these horrendous lies, like out of like just out of the blue, crazy things that you could never imagine that I would even do. And so my current boyfriend at the time was like confronting me in front of everybody in the middle of this big party and, mm. um, on new year's Eve. And so this whole thing happens and I'm like embarrassed, obviously. And he's screaming at me in my face and I'm like, what's Ugh. going on? And then I finally figure out, Oh my gosh, well, obviously this guy. So I kind of confront the other guy. He admits it. And I go back to my boyfriend um, for the next, like, 20 seconds. And I'm (laughs) telling him, like, listen, this is what's going on. And I can't, you know, I can't believe that you would listen to this other guy. And he just, like, gets a little crazy and in my face. And then he finally, like, says all these terrible things to me once again in front of everybody. And then I just had it. And I was like, you know what? This is just over. And I said, this is what I think about you. And he was sitting down on the couch, and I just took my beer bottle, and I poured it over his whole head. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> he just stood there. That's like, awesome. this is not the brightest moments of my – I don't know why I'm sharing that. It's terrible. It's a terrible act that I did. However, 
whatever. It's just beer. He washes out. So <laughs> it was good for his hair. It's good for your, good for your hair. So it, it happened. Okay, let's just be honest. It happened. Mm. and But he um, deserved it, clearly. It, it, well. Come on. Maybe. Come on. Yeah. What no. would your husband say? Would your husband <laughs> say he deserved it? My husband would have taken a completely different tactic. Like, like Ricky's just so super methodical and calm, cool, and collected <laughs> that like it never would have gotten to this point, and he would have like planned a mission all around this within like seven seconds, and it would have been over. And so, no. <laughs> hey, buddy, Most you ever heard of I a do, kill box? Ricky wouldn't do. <laughs> the things I do, Ricky wouldn't do. Mm. He's just. He's just a better person than me most of the time. <laughs> Man, self-discipline, a gift I do not have. I do not Yeah, have. that is, I had to marry somebody with it so that he could help me. <laughs> That's why I married my Shannon. Oh, man. Someone asked me, uh, I walked into RCA one day, and this guy goes, Hey, Mike, I got a question for you. And I was like, yeah. And he said, is your wife really organized? And I said, yeah, oh, yeah, she's totally organized. My, let me tell you how organized my wife is. She makes lists about lists that she's going to make. <laughs> and uh, he started laughing, and we're all laughing at my wife's expense. And then I said, why, why, do, you, why do you ask? And he goes, because you are the flightiest guy I know. I have sent you the same email three times in one week. And I was like, oh, and I did just ask for the, oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. Right. Yeah, no, and he's like, that's the only way you're alive. And I was like, that's not the only way that I'm alive. It's just the only way that I'm not under a bridge or something. Like, yes, <laughs> yes, I need her, and I acknowledge that. Yeah, I totally hear you. I'm, I'm the same way. Ricky's, like, super organized and detail-orientated and thinks about a million things. A million <laughs> plus, options plus exit strategies. <laughs> Always, yeah. actually. That's, um, mm-hmm. that's, that's a tactic that they all have. I know, there it's was, awesome. At, at our wedding, we obviously invited a lot of Ricky's teammates, um, obviously, who are all Green Braves. And so a very large group actually came, um, which is awesome, but rare because they're usually deployed, not different missions. So, But there was a whole group that came. They took over an entire table and a half. And they were strategically placed in this perfect corner where they could, like, you can obviously tell. You're like, yeah, you're scouting every exit. And you are, like, they, you just knew, like, that's the group of Green Berets because you guys just look like you're going to kill somebody. And also, you're also going to protect everybody at the same time. It's a little scary. But it was so obvious to everybody at the wedding. They were like, they, like, which one doesn't belong? Like, that group. So, <laughs> gotta love them. Yeah, you gotta love it where they're like back against the wall, like no entrances or exits behind them. Oh yeah. Nope, nope. And that's exactly where they were. And and I look over, I go, why are they all sitting there? And Ricky's looked over, and he's like, oh yeah, that's because they have the best view of every ex- exit in the room. And sure enough, they did. That was the Isn't spot. It funny? was the only one spot in the room, and they took that table. So that's awesome. It's kind of I cool. love that's it. Hilarious. I love that. That is awesome. Why don't you just put your husband on the phone? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> hey, talk to Ricky. Can I share something? Yes. Yes, you may. Hardly. I like sincerely for a second just thought I was listening to an episode of Catching Foxes. Like I forgot that I'm part of this. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is such a good one. Oh, this <laughs> is actually like, oh, a good I'm one. Here. I'm here. Oh, wait, like, I'm, I'm here. I'm co-host. I'm yeah. present. Sorry. I mean, if you two, if you two want to be the co-host and you guys can interview me, I mean, I'm more than willing <laughs> to fill an hour. I can fill an hour. No? He can. I, I ask you good questions periodically. Most of them are usually like, what do I do about this man in my life? <laughs> <laughs> 
And as your non-gay gay best friend, I give you all the answers. <laughs> Absolutely. But we are not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about Leah Darrow and her fantastic new book, The Other Side of Beauty. Mm-hmm. I'm holding it in my hand right now. So the other, so Yay! if you look at the cover, the other side of beauty is uh, is uh, the back of a woman, right? The by the cover of the book, long yes. flowy hair. Yes, that's not you though, is it? On the no, on the cover. No, no, it's not me. It's not meant meant to be. I mean, we have the same hair color length, blah blah blah. And if somebody did my hair blown out all nice, it could possibly look like that. But no, it's meant to just be obviously the back of any woman. There you go. But uh, the book is not about the the back of women. The book is <laughs> it's just this is this is just going downhill quickly. Well, and that's where Catching Foxes belongs. But uh, no, <laughs> the other side of beauty is about the inner beauty of the soul. The inner beauty of the soul, and that is the part that uh, you can't buy cosmetics for, mm. treatments for. Um, it is something that comes to us only through the grace of God. And I have to say, I am three quarters of the way through the book. I feel like it wasn't written for men, but (laughs) I feel like I understand a whole heck of a lot more about all this stuff from your perspective. Like, I mean, like, I mean, just talking about, okay. So one of my favorite parts of the book is you talking about as a young woman, uh, as a child, basically, you get your first boyfriend and how you had to go from, you know, looking like a decent human being to always feeling like you have to be cute and precious and perfect for him. Uh, like was a thing that I never, ever in, especially in my, you know, like eighth grade, ninth grade, I never would have thought doing for a woman other than brushing my hair. And yet, you think about all the stuff that women go through, especially teenage girls, in order to attract and retain, like, a boyfriend slash status symbol. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it's just it, it's just a common notion that a lot of – common reality that a lot of us women, when we were younger or maybe are still going through, go through, is this idea that, like, we often feel um, and believe that a relationship with – another is going to, you know, lack of better words, complete us, mm-hmm. that it's, it's going to, it's going to make us feel better. Our lives are going to make more sense. And when I have, when, when I'm finally in the relationship, I'm going to feel better. When I finally have that relationship, I'm going to, you know, whatever it might be, fill in the blank. And so that happens and that begins very early on, especially in our culture today that promotes relationships and romance by the time like you're in second grade. And even before then, um, but it's kind of ridiculous. And so you get to that point of high school where a lot of people encounter this and it's all about like who you associate with and who mm-hmm. likes you. And if you really want someone, if you really want to be validated there, there's this idea that the relationship would do that, that it would, it would say something to your high school or to your grade or your, your, your social group that, Hey, somebody wants me. Somebody thinks I'm attractive. Mm-hmm. Somebody wants to be with just me. And that says that I'm worth something. And so we put our, you know, we put all this validation in and we put our worth into the basket of a relationship. And then on, what the problem is that what a lot of us young girls don't realize, um, when we do that, we kind of immediately put ourselves into this, this crazy chaotic circle of like, okay, we're in the relationship, but then we feel like we have to be and look a certain way to stay in the relationship. Like we can't even rest in it. 
we have to be like, okay, now that I have a boyfriend, I have got to make sure every day I'm always doing my hair, and my makeup, and I look so great. I have to, it's like this, we have to renew our sense of worth every 24 hours. And it's just exhausting. Yeah. And then that goes right into cohabitating and all of that, uh, you know, living together before you're married, you know, some people talk about like, oh, well, it's, you're finding out how much you love this person. You're really getting to know the person and you're thinking about whether or not you want to spend the rest of your life with that person. But the reality is you're still putting forward a, 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 a posture. You're still posturing. You're still doing that thing to try to like keep and retain, especially if you're coming from this place of like, I need to be loved by another to give myself validation. And it, you become trapped in that. And you wrote something really awesome in the book that a canon lawyer had said to us um, one time where you had talked about when uh, when you're cohabiting, uh, it makes it harder to leave the relationship. Right. Because now now you have a shared rent and your bills are shared. I mean, heck, even your furniture, you got to figure out if you want to break up with this person, what are you going to do with the furniture and, and a pet? God forbid you get a dog together. Like, what are you going to mm-hmm. do with that? And then, if it, but the canon lawyer said, if you get married at the end of cohabiting, there is a very strong, uh, that's a very strong indication of, um, of a grounds for annulment, not just because you're fornicating before married, but because it's, you've yoked yourself into a state of dependence that is not easily broken. And you might feel overwhelmed and pressured to enter into that marriage, which is a horrible way to decide to marry someone. Absolutely. But it happens all the time. And most of the people go into a cohabitating uh, situation where they're trying to try it out. Like, I, well, I like to get married, but I just kind of like want to see how things work out first. And if that's your goal, if marriage is your end goal um, of like, well, I do want to get married, but we're just making sure things are okay. It's the worst thing you could do because it is nothing like marriage. Marriage, there's not some type of, especially when you're understanding Christian marriage, right? Um, when you're really saying a vow in front of your family and your friends that you forsake all others for the person that's in front of you. Um, that's marriage. Marriage is not like, well, we have, if things don't work out, then I'm just going to stop paying the mortgage and we'll just split everything. And I'll do, you know, it's not like that. Um, it's a permanent relationship where you stick with that person through good times and bad. And in fact, you're not just like, um, in some type of, crazy rainbow la-la land, but you are aware and you know that the good and the bad times will happen. It's mm. in your vows. You're aware that like <laughs> life's going to suck sometimes. You, you are literally saying that. You. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's what you're saying in your vows is life is going to be terrible. And there are going to be moments that mm. we cannot plan for. That could be unemployment. It could be the loss of a parent or a child. It could be the loss mm. of one of us, but no matter what, I'm not giving up on this. I'm with yeah. you to the end. And that is marriage. That's the beauty of the sacrament. It's the beauty of the permanence when you have two people who commit 100% to each other. That is in no way like, uh, you know, in a sense, the vows of cohabitation, Mm -hmm. which I write in the book of like, basically, it's this, I promise that I'm going to take care of you as best as I can, as much as I can take care of myself first, until I really just don't feel like it. But that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that I don't really care about you anymore. It just means I just don't feel it anymore. Yeah. yeah. Not cool. Not cool. You had that quote, uh, leasing with the option to buy. 
Right. Yes, terribly. It happened to me. I was in New York. I was cohabitating with my boyfriend there. We were living together. I definitely wanted to marry him at that time. I thought he was the one and we were dating and um, he did not want to. And he did he keep telling you? Did he keep telling you that the band's going to make it? You just got to hold on. <laughs> that's just my image. That's just my image no. of I'm dating a model. Listen, babe, the band's going to make it. Come on. <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I no, I did not. I did not hear that. But it was just it was just this awkward situation where, you know, we really cared for each other. We wanted to be together. And it was just convenient. It was a convenient option in New York. And New York is expensive to live in. And I moved in with him and we, you know, um, things got, you know, very serious with this, but it didn't translate to a reality. And so when we were out one night hanging out with some friends and we were at a bar in New York City, uh, I overheard this guy, friend of a friend that we were with, talk about his girlfriend that he was cohabitating with and living with. And he constantly lived with his girlfriends. It was just like a cycle. And he just said out loud to some other guys, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm leasing with the option to buy talking Mm -hmm. about his girlfriend. And I was sitting here and I was so mad. And I was like, how could you talk about a woman? Like she's real estate. How could like, Mm -hmm. it's such an objectification and I'm getting fuming over it. And I'm just so upset. And I'm talking, and I'm just thinking about like all the terrible things that sometimes some men say about women and this like objectification on all fronts. And then I stopped myself and I'm like, oh my God, I'm in the same position. Like <laughs> I'm, that's what I'm doing with, with my boyfriend right now. And I didn't want to admit it. Like, and you know, that's and t- typically what happens, especially in New York is with leases and rent increases is that when the lease is up, usually the love is up. Mm. That's so sad. Uh, Arlene, did you ever, as a, 20 something now 30 something did you ever feel like the pull to living together and all that stuff i i felt very early on that when i moved down and got my big boy job and all that stuff i would always go and i would always have roommates like i never wanted to live alone because number one if you're single it's kind of stupid to live alone because then you can't share the load of the bills and all that stuff so i had friends that I moved in with. And to me, that was absolutely important. Now we never did things like cook meals, take turns one night, you cook the meal and I'll cook the meal. We just, <laughs> we didn't do anything like that, but um, we played a lot of Xbox together and drank a lot of beer. But um, <laughs> did you ever feel that pull as, as a young woman to, I don't know. To just, live with the men that I was dating or. Well, I don't know. You're, you're a hip, you were a hip young adult at one time. <laughs> Um, no, I never, I never did. Um, I think, uh, it was something, it was a belief that I adopted pretty early on, probably before it had ever become an option to, um, to, to not live with the people I date, you know, until I finally marry someone. And, um, and I think, yeah, I remember I have this, this memory that I was thinking about as Leah was talking of being uh, at a salon, getting my hair done. And um, while this young woman has like shears in my hair and she's cutting my hair, she's asking me, you know, are you dating anyone? And I don't think I was at the time. And she decided to offer um, some unsolicited advice, which was, you know, 
um, well, w- next time you do date a guy, like if it gets serious, you know, do not marry him until you have lived with him first, because you, you, you've got to know that you, you, you can handle living with him. And I didn't say anything. How um, funny that, that people go there so quickly. I know. I know. And it's like, a, I, it must've been something she was going through really that, that led to her decision yeah. to say that. Cause I, again, like I wasn't even dating anyone. So I'm like, why are you telling me this? But I didn't say exactly what I wanted to say, mostly because she had scissors in my hair. And I was like, <laughs> I'm just, I'm not going to go there. My hair is important to me. So we're going to just like, leave it at this. Um, you see this hair? This is how I make my money. I'm going to stay quiet. <laughs> So um, I was just kind of nodding and smiling and just like, oh, let's change the subject. Um, But anyway, I remember thinking then and and many times since in other situations uh, about just how absurd it all seems to me. Um, Because, you know, as Leah was saying, you know, like it's it's not good like practice for marriage. It's, it's, it is what I see when I, when I think about it is basically a couple saying like, I'm going to decide whether to promise to stay with you in good times and bad, as long as for a while, we never have any bad times. Um, like that's what people are out to prove, like that I'm never going to have a bad time with this person. And only then, only then will I agree to stay with you in bad times. It doesn't make any sense. It's, it, it's just so bizarre to me. Mm. Um, and it's so contradictory to what love is and what marriage mm. is. Um, Leah, and, did, Leah, have you ever read any, uh, Reverend Timothy Keller? No, he <sighs> is. Well, you have to, <laughs> sorry. I'm passionate about Tim Keller. Yeah, me I'm too. passionate. Yeah. Did I get you into him, Arlene? Yes, you did. <laughs> yes. But, uh, he has um, a, a really great book on the nature of marriage, and he was talking about the most the common meaning of marriage. Yeah, the and you know, the meaning of marriage. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Arlene. Thanks. <laughs> get get it right, Gomer. Well, actually, it's the meaning of marriage. Oh my gosh! Um, but he he's in Center City, Manhattan, and his congregation is Redeemer Presbyterian, uh, which is huge out there. And he has six thousand parishioners. And 3,000 are single young adults. So it's like the most unheard of congregation in the world. And um, so he, he does a lot of this stuff. And, you know, he's constantly on the forefront of these, like, comments. And one of them was this person said, you know, I, like, I love you. I don't need a piece of paper to prove how much I love you. mean, like, a marriage license and all that stuff. And his, his response is, but you're afraid to get that piece of paper because it hems you in and it says, this is how this arrangement is going to be. This is not a permanent thing. So that piece of paper actually is connected to a whole lot more that you're not willing to go. And I always thought that that was uh, a, a good defense of the, the, a common argument that I hear all the time I mean, as a young adult minister. I get that all the right. time. Right. Because if it's just a piece of paper, then why would you argue so much about a piece of paper? But clearly you see the intensity, <laughs> the commitment that's attached to that and the, and the worldview and, and the theology even behind it. Um, and there's just, a, you know, that it's connected to so many things, but off the bat, I mean, there's just, it's obvious that to me, at least that there's, there's in recent, in recent time, there's been a huge um, phobia of commitment in general. Mm. Mm-hmm. And we're so afraid of missing out that we never want to commit to anything. 
And so we're just going to wait until everything is just shown in front of us to like, you know, pick what we want. And then nobody ends up picking anything what they want. And they all just sit there saying that there's nothing to choose from. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's just. That's exactly the insight of Timothy Keller going through a handful of uh, surveys on on New York uh, unmarrieds that it's it's not that they don't have an appreciation for marriage. It's they have a too unrealistic and too idealistic view of their mate that they're going to have to marry. Like, if I'm going to marry this person, they have to be essentially flawless. And that person doesn't exist. Therefore, they give themselves permission to not make that commitment. Right. And then those standards also don't apply to themselves. Not even a little right? bit. Sometimes, sometimes we have these standards in a relationship that we're wanting um, – that we're not even giving our own selves. I say this plenty of times in my talks to young women whenever I'm, I'm out and about. And I'm like, listen, I know, you know, how many of you here want this Prince Charming? You want this amazing, gorgeous guy who like, you know, practically cures, you know, blind children in Africa. And they're all like, yes, yes, yes. I want a guy like this. And he's going to love me and protect me and defend me. And he's blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, well, how many of you are being a woman that a guy like that would want to be with? And then they're like, uh, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. if you raise the bar, you have to raise it for yourself as yeah. well. And it goes both absolutely. ways. It absolutely goes both ways. Andy Stanley has a line. What is it? Are you who the person? Are you who? Are you who the person you are looking for is looking for? Are you who the person that you're looking for is looking for? In other words, you see, single people, if you were to sit down, you could come up with a list. I want in this way and her this way. And here's what I'd like her to have in her past. I don't want her to have this in her past. Don't want him to have this in his past. Don't want to have this kind of addiction. Don't want him spending his time on this. Don't I want, you know, I want you. In other words, you know, ideally what you're looking for. The question is, are you who the person you're looking for is looking for? But it's true. Like I dream of, you know, Miss Right, Miss Perfect, but I'm not Mr. Right, Miss Mr. Perfect. I could barely put my pants on. It's like nobody wants, um, they don't want to wind up with the person whose presence is going to challenge anything about their life. Yeah. Um, yes. they, they, they just want to maintain whatever their MO is. So they're looking for someone who, for whom they will not need to adjust. Um, when realistically, that's impossible. Uh, right. And that, that's, I think, what Timothy Keller warns us about is that our expectations are just wildly unrealistic. And for some reason, many of us have gotten into our twenties and thirties and we're never told, um, or never have still not discovered it. And, um, and it's just really, it's really disturbing. And as you were talking, there's something I want to bring up. Um, you know, there is this, like, like Leah, when you were saying that people wouldn't argue about a sheet of paper if they really thought that marriage was just a sheet of paper. I've noticed that in many ways, marriage really is revered um, and valued and yet somehow not, not sought. I, I, I can't really explain it. I haven't articulated it yet. So bear with me. But I remember back when I was writing um, like one of my sex essays for the Tampa Bay times several years ago, Can we please call it I, a sex essay. It, it has been, it actually has been referred to as the sex a before. So you're, you're good. <laughs> um, you. but you know, I, I read some articles, did some research, uh, of, of stuff that other people had written. And I remember hearing a story or reading a story about a young woman who I believe she was living with this man and uh, they were probably in their twenties. He, um, you know, they were living together, sleeping together. 
And she said something, she's quoted in the article as saying like, yeah, he, it's basically like having a child. Like I have to do everything for him. I can't, you know, I can't rely on him. Um, I would never marry him, but, but she's okay with, you know, giving him her body, um, sharing space with him. And, and, and to me, it's so telling because it says like, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to marry him because clearly there's some sort of reverence there for marriage and what it should be. And yeah, she he's, knows he's not that's worthy not, of it. Yeah. yeah. Like she knows that, that that's not what this is. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I've always had trouble and I think this might connect to some of that like worth and value stuff. Um, um, that I'm, I'm guessing is in your book. I'm so sorry. I haven't read it yet. I'm, I will. <laughs> I'm going to very soon, Boo. but, but you know, like, I'm wondering like, what is that? Like, why is it that there is the ability and the capacity to recognize what marriage is and what it should be. But this, um, this inability to, um, uh, you know, make it happen or to like, let go of these certain relationships that aren't right. Or even like, if you want to take it in the other direction, you have situations where there are two people who are awesome for each other. And yet one of them or both of them, um, there's like a fear of commitment or maybe it's that fear of missing out. Um, it seems like to me, like people know that marriage is this beautiful and amazing thing. And yet there's, there's all these little barriers. Um, and I, I, I've personally just been trying to figure out why that is, you know, and I mean, I don't think any of us here really have the answer to that, but it's just something I've been thinking about. And, and I'm curious as to, whether you think it is connected to what we believe about what we are worth. Like sometimes we see how beautiful um, marriage, the true, you know, sacrament of matrimony is. Um, and yet maybe we, we think somehow like deep down we don't deserve it or we're not good enough for it or, you know, something like that. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's, it's, there's, a, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's more of people realize how, beautiful marriages and sacred it is. And so at least they have that awareness or is it just, they realize at some level um, just from the history of marriage that it's, it's a big deal, you know Mm. Um, there's, there's a, it's a big deal. There's a, uh, there is a commitment. Um, You're standing in front of people and you're saying, I'm going to do this. Like most people can't, can't even, you know, but most people freak out when they get on, you know, social media and say, listen, I'm starting whole 30, hold me accountable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or like the heroic thing. minute challenge, right? There or the heroic minute challenge. Like I'm going to wake up every day at a certain time and I'm not going to hit the snooze button. Like just the, just the fact of like realizing you're standing in front of family and friends and saying, Hey everybody, I'm going to be with this person for life. And you all heard me say it. So I think there's this realization that, that, that it's big. Do, do they know, are, are, are people aware of the beauty and the sacredness of it? I don't know. No, I'm not sure about that. I don't I, think anything's sacred. Probably anymore. not many. <laughs> so I, I think, think that's yeah. obviously missing in the understanding of what marriage is. Because I think when you do see the beauty and the sacredness, you also see the fact that, yes, we're human and we're broken, but we're redeemed. And, you know, um, this is something that we can't do alone, which is why mm. it's a sacrament. And that's why yes. there's sacramental grace in there, which alleviates some of the anxiety in it because when you have good preparation, which for most of the time does not happen, unfortunately, um, these, these concerns of, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I can do this. That's an appropriate response to marriage is holy 
cow. I don't know <laughs> if, if, if I can handle this. Um, I remember feeling that myself, knowing that I had an amazing man that I loved and I wanted to marry. And I remember talking to our, our, our priests and some of our friends and they were like, that's the most honest thing that you could say, because you were obviously aware of just, you know, the gravity of what's going on. And the thing is that the grace will moment and just know that, yes, you alone can't do this, Leah, you know, you and Ricky Mm -hmm. alone can't do that. So I think that there's like some missing pieces that go along with our own worth, our, our, you know, our own worth and our value that we see in ourselves that, that we also see that somebody would want to commit themselves entirely to us. There's Mm -hmm. clearly, I think those issues at hand, there's also the issue in terms of marriage itself, its beauty and its sacredness and a loss of understanding on that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, can I tell you, you my favorite uh, – so two things happened while reading your book. Number one, uh, I busted it out on Tuesday morning. I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning and uh, sat on my love seat and read through the book. I got about halfway through. And then I bought the audio book today while I was doing housework <laughs> so I could listen to you on double speed um, plow through the rest. But um, So on Tuesday morning, I was reading your book, and I got to the statistic – now, the last time you were on your sh- our show, you talked about fast fashion and how it's, you know, destroying people and how ridiculous it is. But yes. you talked about – in this one, you talked about um, beauty products, uh, how 60% of American cosmetics contain lead, which is a known uh, toxin. And right. how the, that, Yeah, and how uh, that one professor said, uh, use at your own risk, don't lick your lips, and – how they're <laughs> the last time the regulations were updated about these things was in 1938, and um, and you said the never list, which is a list of chemicals and toxins that are used in these things, is compiled by the beauty counter, and it's so funny because that night I had to come home from work early because my wife was going to a beauty counter presentation and i was like oh so as soon as she came down the stairs i was like well honey do you know leah darrow says uh, blah 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 and, <laughs> and i was very excited to bring that up how, how did you get in how did you encounter beauty counter i just i actually cannot remember i've known about them i mean this is a, obviously i mean i wrote a book on this stuff so i have a little bit of a passion behind everything that i wrote and when i was uh you know after america's next top model and after my conversion coming back home and having this time of spiritual rehabilitation, I began to look at everything Mm -hmm. and it was slow. It didn't all happen at once, but I began to really dissect how I looked at beauty and how I looked at myself and what did God really say about that? And, uh, why do I accept these standards of beauty, Mm -hmm. um, that I did not make, I did not create. And that half the time I don't want And so I began just to look into that and I began to do some research and then I started, it just kind of happened. And then I ended up finding the beauty counter and being like, wow, okay. So there's a lot at stake here. Um, And and, and when they say beauty can hurt, they're absolutely right. Because some beauty definitely does hurt us. Our skin is our largest organ on our body. And a lot of the products that we're putting on our skin, on our face, on makeup, lotions, um, have a lot of ingredients that are really not good for us. And with an increase of a lot of medical problems and skin irritations and even some cancers, we need to take a look at what we're putting into our bodies on our skin and what we're eating as well uh, to see if it's a, if there's a possible connection or correlation. Yeah. And the other thing that uh, I got while reading your book, 
I don't know if anyone else has told you this, but there's a huge part of your book that made me think of the band Rage Against the Machine. Did you ever did you ever listen to Rage Against the Machine? Um, I I mean I remember them in high school, but I didn't really yes. listen to them as Aww. much. No. You should ask your husband while he's while he's lifting weights uh, <laughs> if, if they blare Rage Against the Machine or something like that. Because there is this line that you have that reminded me. I'm going there with uh, a Rage Against the Machine song because you talk about. What did I say? <laughs> no, no. Here we go. You ready? <laughs> Buckle up, you commie. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> you were talking about teenage girls and how. Uh, they smoke, they are choosing to smoke in order to lose weight, right? That whole yes. diet Coke and cigarettes, the meal of a, a, of a model. And uh, this, this notion of these girls, not only do they, are they trying to do it to lose weight, but also they think it's glamorous and, uh, and it's asserting their independence, which is just what all the ads say, right? You see this girl in a leather jacket and she's so cool, right? Um, right. And there is a line from the song from Rage Against the Machine. It's called No Shelter. And it was insanely, I don't know what movie exec got permission to do this, but it was on the, the Matthew Broderick Godzilla movie, the greatest movie of all time. Not really. And uh, <laughs> in that movie, this song is in there. And it literally bashes American cinema. It calls America the Fourth Reich culture, as in the new Nazis. It's a terrible, like, how did this make it into a Hollywood song? But there is a, a line <laughs> that I wrote down the lyrics of, which he says, uh, it's talking about advertising, and he says, uh, they got you thinking that what you need is what they selling, and they make you think that buying is rebelling. And when I read mm. those lines, I was thinking like every 55-year-old, you know, chubby guy who's been working in a desk job his whole life goes out and spends – $25,000 on a Harley because he's a rebel, you know, and you have right. these images right. of, of I'm a girl and I'm going to go out and I'm going to get cigarettes. I'm going to smoke and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And, uh, and it's like, wow, oh, good. You're doing exactly what we pre-programmed you to do. You think that buying these things is rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's all. I, um, <laughs> I, I, I can't say I, I, I think it's rebellion, but when, uh, like I, I've been so guilty of that, especially in my twenties, um, particularly regarding mascara. Like I look at these ads and I know that this woman is wearing false lashes. I, I'm aware that she's got false lashes on in this photo, but I still buy it because I'm like, maybe, maybe this is the one that's going to get my lashes to do what her lashes are doing. And I know it's not right, but that that has been my gripe with um, just the cosmetic industry is that they um, they tell us they tell us that we have a specific problem, and then they are the ones who create the solution for it, and they're the only ones we can get the solution from. And it's so sad because I I see it, and yet like I still I still participate <laughs> because I want the lashes, you know, or or whatever. The, the and, ideal um, must always be out of reach, otherwise the companies would be out of customers to sell to. Leah Darrow, mm-hmm. Leah Darrow, chapter two. That's yep. beautiful. I was saying, I think that, I think that sounds familiar. <laughs> yes, definitely. I mean, and that's the entire thing. The, the beauty in the fashion industries want to create the idea that perfection is possible um, because we, because we want to look beautiful and we want to feel beautiful. We want to wear beautiful things. These are all really uh, 
the desire comes from a good place. The desire comes from something that God has planted into our hearts, the desire for beauty, for true beauty. But it's a piece of beauty that only he can feel. Um, Dolce Gabbana, uh, you know, anything at Sephora, that's not going to fill our hearts. It's not going to really make us feel beautiful. If it made us feel beautiful, then I would walk into Sephora and automatically feel beautiful with all the mm-hmm. options around me and all the beautiful pieces of makeup. But that's not, that's not true. I end up feeling overwhelmed and like, which mm-hmm. one do I get and which one's got more, you know, chemicals in it or less. <laughs> I mean, like, you yeah. know, you have to kind of look at that. But the idea is that, you know, the beauty and the fashion, they are they're The whole point is for us to just buy their stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they promote this very consumeristic culture of us thinking that we just need more. We need, need, need. And it's it's sad and it's disturbing because we have more than enough in this country. And yet we constantly feel like we have nothing. We yeah. can be in front of our closets, you know, bursting with clothes and feel like I have nothing to wear. Yeah. And there are people who have literally no closet and no clothes except for the ones they're wearing, whatever those might be. Yeah. And that's not even a thought in their mind. And it's just, there's got to be a point we have to stop. We yeah. have to stop with this nonsense and we have to take a good look at ourselves. And at the end of the, you know, when it comes down to it, and I know too many people I know use this line, but it's true. We have to think about the fact that, 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 that we will die, mm-hmm. that we're going to leave all of this crap to know some, some, somebody or nobody, yeah. and it won't even matter. It just won't matter. So the beautiful things that we put on our bodies, the beautiful things that we wear, the beautiful things we put on our skin at some point just doesn't matter. And when you can get to a place where you can kind of see the reality of that. And of course I don't bash makeup or fashion. Like I don't think it's evil and I don't think it's bad to wear any one of it. It's not. I mean, I don't think you should put things on you that would hurt you in terms of like, you know, what's in the, what's in all of the um, makeup or lotions that you have. And I don't think that we should purchase clothes that are not ethically made. I absolutely don't. Um, but so I don't think it's a bad thing, but I just think that we must realize that, that, that there's more to our lives than this. And because we're so self-focused, I know I'm taking this probably in a different route here, but we become so self-focused in our, in this Western culture, where we're always looking at ourselves. And that's, that's, that's the danger that mother Teresa spoke of constantly that, that, that we have forgotten that we belong to one another, mm-hmm. that we have forgotten our neighbor. Yeah. And we've forgotten to reach out and love and help our neighbors. And yeah. because we're so looking in and, and what do I need? What what can I have? How can I feel better? And it's just, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. It yeah. doesn't matter. You know? You had a killer line in your book um, when you described the, what, what I describe as your mystical experience of Christ. Uh, you You were getting ready for a photo shoot. The, the photo shoot that you walked out of. You're getting ready for a photo shoot. You're wearing basically like a see-through whatever. And you said you are ironically acting empowered by choosing to be objectified. And yeah. I, those words circled, underlined. I mean, those, that, is, that is powerful. That is powerful. That is the, the aching heart of millennials today. Acting mm. empowered by choosing to be objectified. All I am wow. is a thumbs up on Facebook or a heart on Instagram. That's all like my worth, like, please just do this for me and I'll get in your face about it. I'll be a troll about it. All I want is that thumbs up and that, uh, 
Wow. Yeah, yeah that's, those, that's a those, brilliant line. Those, those fake smiles you see on every one of those young women on the Victoria's Secret fashion show. Mm-hmm. Um, my heart breaks for them, even though I would, get, I would probably guess that they might not be, you know? Right. Um, some might, I don't know. I cannot speak for them and, and, and I will not, but I just see that as the glorification of objectification for so many young women. And it's, it's, it's the things that are out there on the big platforms. It's the personal moments in between that you've talked about, like just being on social media and just wanting some type of validation, right. Looking for it any way you can. And, uh, it got to a point where I had to just be honest with myself. It was so obvious. It was like, okay, look, I'm obviously, this is obviously objectifying. I'm, I'm willingly putting myself out there. I know that they're staring at me. I know that they're looking at me. Like I know what this picture is going to be used for. And I either am going to have to accept it and just make some type of peace with it or just stop. And that was the moment for me where I actually stopped and, yeah. and well, what you I would, had your option, your option would be get used to it like the other models or whatever the photographer said to you at that moment. I just, I'm like, just, you'll be fine. You'll get used to it. You know, you'll get right. used to feeling this way. And ugh. yeah, that was actually what one of the photographers said during it when I had this moment and I was like, I can't, you know, I had this encounter with Christ and then I was just like, I can't, I have to go. And yeah, I remember him absolutely saying that to me, like, listen, Every girl feels this way in the beginning. Don't worry about it. You're going to get used to it. And I just, mm-hmm. especially in light of the current predicament yeah. <laughs> that our our country are, is in with all of these sexual harassment allegations, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, okay, this is the message that is given to every, I, I mean, to every person, every woman, definitely in in the industry. Don't worry, yeah. you're going to get used to it. Just, you know what? It's no big deal because it happens all the time. There's no way you can stop this train. And you're just told that you are, you, you watch it happen to others. You watch other girls be silenced because they did something with somebody else because now they got the job and now they're in Milan. So they're doing that. And you're just, you watch it happen and you have, and you watch it over and over. And I did, I witnessed it over and over. And it was told to me over and over that you just become like, well, I, I get, I guess I have to accept it and mm. praise God. I, I know that it was a supernatural grace of courage that he gave me in that moment. Um, could you tell, could you talk about no. that experience? Like you look down at what, what drew you to like, look at your hands. I can't remember what the. Well, yeah, what happened was I was in the middle of the photo shoot and the photographer's taking these pictures. And so, um, in one of the, in one of the shots, I look directly at the flash instead of the lens. And so my eyes and there's, you know, it's their professional, obviously great cameras and the flash is really big. And so uh, my, I just kind of went blind. I was like, ugh, you know, I, I looked right into this big old freaking light and all these extra lights that are on there. So there's not just a tiny flash from like a tiny camera, but it was really big, really big, extra big light. And I look right into it on accident. Um, and so I'm just turning my head to blink and kind of regain my focus. But in that time of blinking and regaining my focus in my head, uh, I ended up seeing this picture of myself wearing the outfit that I was modeling. And I wasn't nervous or worried about it because I had just seen a Polaroid of myself. And they do that often with, 
Polaroid cameras during a photo shoot to check the lighting. Mm -hmm. So they had shown me really quickly before we started back up in the shoot, the picture of me and the Polaroid and I gave it back to them. And then we got back into the shoot and then that's when the flash happened. So I just thought, Oh, I'm just, I'm just seeing the last image I saw, you know, but I noticed that in my head as I was blinking, as like a little movie was playing that my hands were cupped together and being held at my waist. And then I raised them all the way up. And then I saw out and up above me, the profile of a man's face. It was shadowy profile. Of a, I could just tell it was a man's face who looked at my hands because I was giving them to him. And mm. he just bowed his head in disappointment. Like his head just like hung down and I was very disturbed. And I, I pulled my hands back down to my waist to kind of see what was in them and what was so bothersome. And I looked down into my hands and I saw absolutely nothing. And in that Mm. moment of seeing nothing, which really represented my life, obviously, uh, I heard five words and I heard those five words on my heart. And that was, I made you for more. And I heard those over and over, um, quietly, strongly, but it was without a doubt. Like it was not a whisper. Yeah. It was a confidence. I made you for more. I made you for more. I made you for more. And I just, I just couldn't, you know, it was just a moment where I, what I wanted and hoped to be true was literally being said to me. And Mm -hmm. I just looked up at the photographer who at this point had been snapping his fingers because I don't know, 30, 45 seconds had gone by and, and he was waiting for me to get back into position. And I just said, I can't, I have to go. And I just walked towards the wardrobe area. And this is when all the commotion happened. This is when I was told, don't worry about it. You know, every girl feels this way. You'll get used to it. And then I was told a lot more other things. And then I was getting ready to leave after they were, after I had told them. The best line of all time. (laughs) Your comeback line Mic drop, walk out the door. I love it. I wish I had, I wish it was like that. I mean, I, it's, it's true. I definitely said it, but it was, (laughs) yeah, it was great. But I mean, I had tears in my eyes. It was a desperate moment in my life. And, um, it it was, it was, it was phenomenal and it was amazing. And, and obviously God's grace helped me through that and speak a lot of truth to myself in that moment. I was really speaking to myself and reminding myself of, of really what I had been made for, uh, which was just to be redeemed and to be loved by Christ and to let him love me. And so as I walked to the wardrobe area and they're saying a ton of more things to me, um, and at this point they realize that I'm definitely not going to go back to the photo shoot and I am leaving. Then the harassment happened and it was constant. It was, you're disgusting and you're ugly and you're not even that thin and you have cellulite and we just are doing Tyra Banks a favor. So, I mean, it turns, the beauty industry turns on you immediately. As soon as you stop doing what they want you to do, then you're the worst. Then you're the ugliest. You are the fattest. You are, you have wow. the worst skin. You have the worst teeth. It's, it's everything. And so those comments hit me and it was just this barrage of, of, of just negativity constantly coming at me. And I just, 
you know, before that it was, oh, you're, you're amazing and you're beautiful and turn here and smile this way. And then it goes down to totally the opposite. Wow. So as I get to the door, the photographer says, he's like, hey, listen, if you leave, you're going to be a nobody. And I just looked at him and I just said, do you promise? You promise. And he just, he just <sighs> stared. He actually didn't say anything. I just said, do you promise me? And, um, I actually go on a little bit more, uh, in that conversation. I just said, promise me, promise me. You won't call me promise me. You won't offer me another job. Just promise wow. me. I'll be a no- nobody to you. And he just stared at me. He did not say a word. And I just, I remember these big steel doors in this warehouse in New York. I was in midtown Manhattan for the shoot and they just slammed behind me. It was like the loudest thud. And I just walked down that hallway all by myself and I just walked down that hallway alone, but I had regained a sense of dignity and worth. And I was very broken and very hurt. And I didn't know quite what I was going to do, but I just knew that I had taken back a piece of my dignity that I had allowed the industry to steal from me for way too long. Yeah. That is in sane that is oh man wow that is wild i uh i like to when i was reading the story of you hearing christ say to you i made you for more juxtaposing that with the phone conversation that they had with you hiring you for the shoot which was you have to look like you have more to offer and yes and how that stands in relief or in contrast like these two these two statements are juxtaposed to one another competing for your heart. Like they don't think you have, like they they put you in a state of desiring to be objectified and feeling like you're never fully enough for their objectification. You look like you have more to offer, look more sexual, more desirable, more this, more that it's always a more. And yet the thing that Christ made you for more, right. Is himself. Right, and he's giving right. it as opposed to making you earn it. He's giving it. Absolutely. It's competition versus acceptance. Yeah. The world wants you to compete against one another, to tear down your component. They want you to compare yourself with every single person out there. They want you to see flaws in other people to make yourself feel better or flaws in others um, just to bring your, yourself up or down. And versus Christ who's saying, no, I fully accept you and I fully died for you and I fully rose for you. And it's full acceptance and full redemption in Christ. And that's the beautiful side of beauty that we need to accept and live out. That's the other side of beauty. The other side of beauty that I talk about later on in the book and and the last three chapters is us reclaiming what we've been made for, Mm -hmm. accepting what we've been made for and leaving that out because, because true beauty is holiness and beauty is also wholeness is being whole, allowing Christ to fill our hearts and heal our hearts. Can you, can we end this? I mean, I I asked for an hour from you and uh, I know we're getting there, but the last thing I want to talk about is the role of women's sessions. Me and you do the conference circuit. We've never worked together, (laughs) but over and over again, I meet women who hate the women's session because it's two things. It's realize how beautiful, you know, you're a shining star kind of stuff. And it's, you're a daughter of God. You're a daughter of the King. Not that, that they don't need to hear that. Cause I think everyone needs to hear that. I need to hear that. I'm a daughter of the King at least once a day, 
But this notion, <laughs> deeper, don't judge me, Arlene, this notion of where do we take this into, into a deeper level? I think your book does that. But how can you get across? I mean, I, I, I don't know. Is your, is your primary audience, I mean, like when you do the Sumville conferences, it's high school students. Are you getting a lot of young adult gigs, which I've discovered pay nothing? Uh, <laughs> Truth. <laughs> hey, you want to you want to speak out of theology on tap? Here's a nickel and a free beer, <laughs> and I do it, and, and I pizza. do it, and I do it for the free beer. Yeah, yeah. But what what do you think about the state of like I I mean to be honest, I'm sick and tired of the state of men's sessions. And Arlene has graciously listened to my men's session talks and shared it with all of her friends because I'm just like I love I I I'm just gonna make some commentary here before you answer, and it is like I I if I'm honest and I am honest when people book me to speak, I tell them I would much prefer to give this talk on chastity for me specifically um, to the boys and girls together. And that's adult or youth. Um, I, I don't think that I will ever um, at least not in terms of chastity, give a chastity talk uh, or market my chastity talk anyway for like just one gender because uh, not because of the women's session issues um, or the men's session issues, but just because I think it's a topic that, um, you know, girls and boys have to get used to discussing, um, in each other's presence because, you know, one day, you know, you expect to marry a person and you're gonna have to talk about sex. And if you can't do it now, like, Hey, uh, you, you don't, I, I'm, a t- I listen, I've never talked about sex with my wife once we have a perfectly healthy <laughs> marriage. <laughs> anyway, that's just my spiel. I just yeah. needed to get that out. But, but, um, I am interested because like, I, like your talk on especially specifically on uh, male passivity is the one that I've shared with so many people. I think women need to hear it too. And as I've said to you, Gomer, hearing that from you, a male has given me so much hope. Oh. It has given me so much hope uh, because I've had a lot of experiences and I've observed uh, other women having experiences with men who are so uh, passive, um, uh, who, you know, the, the, the roles have been reversed to the extent that, um, you know, we, uh, women are sort of, how do I say this tactfully, um, taking control, you know, um, we're not willing to wait to see if a man will pursue us because deep down we don't believe he ever will. And so we just, cause most men won't. Yeah. Because most of them, won't, you, you know, and, and, and so for me, like to have heard that talk that you primarily, primarily give to men, I think, gosh, I think you should give it to women too, or at least some version of it because, uh, it changes everything for a woman to know that men exist who, um, who, who do pursue and who, who aren't passive. Yeah, so Leah, what do you think is I don't I I don't even know how to phrase. What's the ideal women's session? What's what what's the angle you're hitting at going forward? Well, I mean, I I will say, you know, I know I guess I might be um on the odd end here, but I I think it's great to separate them out. Um I I I do. I think that I have given um I have watched high school, especially in high, in high school. In high school, it's so difficult, and I do think that there's an advantage you you have when you just get the guys together or you just get the girls together um, to go into some areas that their guards are down. When the girls mm-hmm. all come into a Steubenville session for the for the women's session, they're completely different than when they come in as a group for every other time during that con- conference. 
the feel of the room is different. The girls are chatting and they're laughing and they're talking different. It's an mm-hmm. obvious change. And you see that a little bit of a guard let down. You see a little bit of the, okay, I don't have to maybe look or act a certain way because he's here. Mm-hmm. And that's nice. And there's a place where they can go where their hearts seem to be a little bit more open to go to some places that you might want to go. And sometimes what happens, and I'm not saying that you should always separate the you know men and women for these talks, but there is an advantage at sometimes to do it, especially at this age. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've noticed in high school talks when I've given it to a mixed a- audience, I see those couples who are clearly engaging in a relationship that's not healthy <laughs> right. and, and forgotten. You could spot them a mile away, and they think they're <laughs> so coy. It's so darn obvious. It's not <laughs> even funny. And they're sitting there, and they're holding hands. And you can tell that one person in the relationship is definitely not wanting to let go of having sex. Yeah. yeah. And the other person is, like, maybe open. But in that conversation, because it's guys and girls, yeah. sometimes those things are very difficult. And the person who's like on the fence, they're shut down. Mm-hmm. They don't want to show interest in, in, in the speaker or in the content because it would be it would be a question mark of their relationship. Um, and it, it's just it's a very rough thing. But if you can separate them out and you can get them to a place where they can just hear the whole thing and maybe gain some confidence and maybe be inspired by something and be able to take that back. There's sometimes a better chance in high school um, Mm. for that age group for that to happen. in. I think when you get to more young adult, yeah. And, and likely and and rightfully so, excuse me, they should be together and they should both be hearing it and they should be hearing the men's talk and the women's talk and they should be hearing both of that. Um, but for, for me, I really appreciate the Steubenville conferences and having a time where I'm just talking to my girls. Yeah. Where I'm just so talking what to my girls th- and I can talk to them heart to heart. Yeah. What do you see then as the, like, I, I enjoy the men's session. I hate aspects of the men's session. I certainly, if your husband were like a, a chaperone at the Steubenville Mid-America 2 conference where I just was, I'd have been like, uh, I'm just going to ask this guy to give the talk because... <laughs> I am woefully inadequate. I fully acknowledge that I feel shame in his presence, and I'm just going to go sit in the chair and play with my phone. Uh, you, you guys talk amongst yourselves, right? But I, I, I love – I mean, I do like men's sessions, but my my ongoing joke about men's sessions – and not Steubenville conferences, like I do retreats and all that stuff – is that men's sessions tend to be uh, – I, I call them the three phases of men's session. First phase – uh, the oorah, braveheart, let's chop down a tree. Thank God we're not women. Talk. Then there's the uh, the sensitive guy. It's okay to hug a brother. Talk. That was really popular, like at the end of the '90s, early 2000s. And then now the talk since the mid 2000s has always been um, for the love of God, stop looking at porn. And that's like every men's session. And I just had the, I, from the a lot of the women I talked to, a lot of the women's sessions are just the Disney princess type thing. You know what I mean? And yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I hope that's, you know, and it's possible. Somebody may have said it, but I hope that nobody has ever said that about a women's session. I don't feel like I've ever gone that route. You I've haven't. Always, I mean, it's in, in the to, talks I've seen, you haven't. <laughs> I mean, I've always wanted to be, I'm just trying to talk to the 15 year old Leah, the 16 yeah. year old Leah, the girl in high school that, wanted to, you know, make people happy and, you know, was funny and goofy, but also was really, really searching and just didn't feel like I fit in and really wanted somebody to tell me that I was, that I was 
worth it. And also wanted somebody to, to believe in me. And so for me, I am trying to reach that girl. I'm just trying to inspire the girls. Be like, listen, you are worth, you are worth a good life. The life that you want, whatever that might be, whatever your gifts and talents are, say yes to that. You don't have to give in to these pressures that the world tells you of the type of woman you have to be. And yeah, that involves some talk of relationship and a little bit of chastity stuff. But, I, but I, I'm, I'm trying to get to the bigger levels here and trying to inspire young women. Like, listen, you are worth an amazing life. And God has something phenomenal planned for you. But you have to take control and you have a choice and you must make it. Like, you, you can't just sit on the sidelines and do nothing and expect your life to be phenomenal. And so I just try to give, like, a big kick in the butt and, you know, a big, like, a little tough love and just be like, listen, you are strong and you are brave. And God made you that way. And you can choose these things. You have permission to say yes to God. You have permission to say yes to authentic love. You have permission to say yes to your dignity and your worth in Christ Jesus. Mm. Mic drop. I love it. That was awesome. That was awesome. And I think the hardest thing for women is the the mixed messages that we always send to these high school girls. And they radiate it back to us all the time, right? Is do this, be like this, act like this. But also by doing these things, you're uniquely you. And what we're trying to say is, no, discover who you are by discovering the one who made you. Right. And absolutely. So many people think I'm being an individual when I act like all these other people in this smaller crowd. You know, like I remember my, one of my really good friends became um, uh, like a goth punk dude. And one day we were talking and he was like, you're just a preppy like all the rest. And, and I was like, wow, I call me Zach Morris. And so I channeled that. Um, but then I said, I said, isn't it funny, though, that you tell me I'm con- giving into the culture and I'm conforming when you're literally wearing a uniform? And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, I woke up and put this off the ground. You color coordinated your dark gray with your light black, right? Like, <laughs> like, and the, the patches that you sewed onto your clothes and your backpack and the type of rips you have in your jeans. Like, this is a uniform that declares who you are. And this is right. a uniform, I guess, that declares who I am, which is a square nerd who doesn't know how to dress himself. And thank God it's not rancid smelling. But... We all we all do this, and uh, we think that – I mean, it's exhausting trying to be an individual, and so we default by giving in to the crowd. It's just we think we're an individual because we chose what crowd, but we're still engaging right. in the group think the whole way down, and yeah. Yeah, and there's, there's just something – I mean, yeah, there's just something for me when I talk to women in a women's session or at a women retreat where – it's just really important for us to speak up. And, you know, I think that there is this tendency. um, I really don't know how long ago. I know at least it's been about like 20, 30 years ago where like, if you were going to be, if you're really going to take on your faith, then you were just meek and mild. And I'm going to be like Mary and I'm going to always just, think and not say anything because Mary rarely ever spoke. So I'm just never, mm-hmm. I'm never, and, but there was this idea. Um, I remember growing up and seeing this in the older generation from like my great aunts and my, and seeing in my, my, in this idea of that, like this was womanhood, you know? And, and so 
there's a lot of, and of course, then the sexual revolution and then everything got flipped on its head. And so there's just all these mixed messages that I think young ladies have today of like what that is. And, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, I just kind of want to help women be able to speak up, to know their faith, share their faith and, and, and wear it and, and speak it proudly um, to, and, and to say, say, say what they say, say what they want in life when it comes to relationships, you know, like speak up. Don't just sit there and just accept whatever comes your way. You can say, no, thank you. And, mm. and, and just, I enjoy those women's sessions for the, for that time and, and yeah. being able to talk to them and being, hopefully giving them this permission and encouraging them to speak up because we need to. All right. Mm-hmm. So where can people find you, Leah? Well, let me, let me say this. Thank you so much for giving us over an hour of your time. Uh, you're awesome. I wish nothing but the best. Uh, the book is The Other Side of beauty, the other side of beauty. Um, where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on my website, leahdarrow.com. And the book is available on Amazon. Um, I think it's actually on sale right now for like under 12 bucks. You can grab it. Uh, and yeah, so it's great for anybody kind of like 18 to adult. And I'm on all the social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff. Now, how long did it take you to write this book? Well, I mean, realistically, I started writing some element of it 10 years ago mm. and I was not ready to write it. I didn't quite know what the focus was going to be, but I, I, but it was on my heart. It was a very distinct pull from God to write. And that was very difficult for me. Um, unlike Arlene, I am not a quick writer. I, I Arlene can pull something out in a few minutes and it's like, <laughs> that would have taken me uh, three weeks, a month to be like, Oh my God. It's just, that's not the style of writer I am. So it, I actually started actively writing this book with this message and this this point and goal to the book uh, about a year and a half ago. And so it's it it was a it, was, it took me a little while. Mm. Well, it's a good book. It is really, really, really well done. And you recorded the audio book. I did. It is me actually um, pulling forward. So, I I mean, who knows? I I mean, if you, I I mean, and it happens, but if you think I have a terribly annoying voice, then don't buy the audio book. Just buy the book (laughs) and read it because it will be me reading it to you for four and a half hours straight. (laughs) So, how, uh, well, actually, two hours because I listened to double speed. But uh, how uh, how, uh, long did it take you to record that audio book? It was very easy. Um, it was very, very quick for me. In fact, I think <laughs> I went to Nashville to record it because my publisher, Thomas Nelson, has a studio that they use there. Yeah. And uh, I I got in and out, and it was very quick, um, to be honest with you. I think they were surprised, but I told them, I was like, I get paid to speak. Like, I yeah. kind of do this <laughs> often, and it's my story. A lot of authors will have somebody else read the audiobook, you know, to do the audiobook right. for them for a variety of different reasons, which is fine. And I was just very adamant, like, look, it's my story. I don't want anybody saying when I was 15 years old and I went to a homecoming dance, I was like, <laughs> no, that's my story. <laughs> I am, I am sharing that one. It's going to be so weird. But plus I've been sharing pieces of my testimony yeah. that are in the book for almost a decade now. And I think people that have supported me and followed me would I think they'd find it weird to hear some other girl's voice talk about my life and say yeah. my life like it's her and we're like dude this ain't Leah, ain't Leah. So. <laughs> it'd be awesome if it was a dude <laughs> <laughs> 
and I wanted to feel I, beautiful. So they said. <laughs> I should have had Ricky do it. <laughs> mm, oh, my goodness. This is what you need to do. You need to record him doing a chapter of the book straight yes. up, chapter chapter three. Have him do it, and, how, then, and then have him how, do how a commentary. Read the other yeah. side of beauty. And then have him do a commentary on uh, on it. I would <laughs> seriously ask him for this. We will do it as a Catching Foxes fundraiser. We will donate all the proceeds to me and Luke. And uh, <laughs> it's Giving Tuesday or something. I don't know. Oh my gosh, that would be awesome. I can only imagine what he would. Oh, it would be so bad. I should get like a group of his Green Braids to like read pieces of the yes. book. They would. That would be awesome. Yeah, this is the beginning of YouTube. a beautiful idea. Do something <laughs> beautiful here. Get the Green Berets to read chapters of your book. <laughs> I only cared that I had a boyfriend. Now I'm a girlfriend. <laughs> I, <laughs> my looks kept him as my boyfriend. <laughs> Our relationship felt like temporary love, much like parachuting in the midst of enemy fight. Wait, no, no, no. Uh. I'll see if I can get some green brace to agree to it. Then maybe we can put all the funds towards um, a military fundraiser. I mean, you could do that, too. Yes, a military fundraiser. We could do that, too. We could do that. That would be good. Yes, the the Wounded Soldiers. What is it? Wounded Warrior Project. Stuff like that. Wounded Warriors, yep. Or the Green Brave Foundation. Either one. Excellent organizations. Yeah, maybe maybe we just might do that. If I can, <laughs> if I could commit some Green Braves to actually doing that, it's... That's hard. That that's a hard commitment from them, but I I will see. Oh man! Oh, I hope it happens. Oh, God is here. God is here. He is living and moving among us right now. This conversation is blessed by the Holy Spirit. And I think we just need to end here with Arlene telling people where they can find her. All right, Arlene Spensley. There's a lot of ease. Um, you can so put it in the show notes. But yeah, I'm at Arlene Spensley on Twitter, at Arlene Spensley on Instagram, and I also have a page on Facebook. I'm also at Arlene Spensley dot com, and my book is called Chastity Is for Lovers. <laughs> it's called and... Arlene Spensley. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Could many Arlene Spensleys. So self-titled. many. Yeah. So uh, you can find me at Lay Evangelist is my website and. Um, you can, don't find me on Twitter anymore. I've gone on Twitter like uh, every time I'm in an airport, like for like ten minutes, and I don't do it anymore. Uh, so just find me on the Facebook page for Catching Foxes. Um, do you also, Instagram? Uh, no. Think of thinking of my wife. Uh, my wife. You Instagrams. should listen. I know. I totally do Instagram. I will tell you why I don't. Number one, I have a face for radio. Number two. <laughs> I would just post pictures of my kids because I have an iPhone 8 and it has that sweet portrait mode. And oh, so does my 7 Plus. It's beautiful. I take it? pictures of my I kids like all the time. I know. I know. But that's all that's it would be. That's what I do. You should check out my Instagram half the time. It's just my kid. But you know, whatever, man. It's real life. Your kids are entertaining. I enjoy watching <laughs> their videos and pictures, Leah. My- <laughs> Thank you. They're insane. <laughs> And that's an absolutely true statement. Some some, some parents are like, my kids are crazy. And I'm like, no, man. No, they're not. They're angels. Mine are nuts. <laughs> nuts, so. But I love them. They're mine. Yeah. Anyway, get, yeah. get on Instagram. I mean, I it's have fun. one. It's at AMD Gomer. But I think I've literally posted, like, I was in an airport bathroom the last time I posted something. <laughs> you should do it. You should do Instagram for Catching Foxes. Just have a Catching we Foxes do. We have one. Account. We have one. That, yeah. that Luke maintains that. Luke, okay. Luke Luke maintains the Catching Foxes podcast. I'm sure I follow you then. I mean, you might, you might, you probably shouldn't, but you you might. And uh, <laughs> no, I'm sure I do then. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, anywho, um, 
Yeah, and so that's a big deal. And so, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Uh, just a reminder, if you go on to patreon.com slash cf, if you donate $10 or more, you get a free – or a free, I say. If you donate $10, you get something for free. If you donate $10 or more, you get a free bonus episode, a free bonus episode of Luke and Me. It's beautiful. Patreon.com. If we get – Arlene, you ready for this? We have 100 backers. Mm-hmm. Just hit a hundred, and if we need two more dollars a month donated in order to hit a thousand dollars a month, boom, boom, we are so cl- so close to quitting our jobs. So close. <laughs> my my pastor listens to this, Father. I'm not quitting my job. I just say that for the people. <laughs> but if the price was right, I would totally quit my job and do this full time. Anywho. Thank you all so much for a great show. Thank you for coming on. And Leah, um, we are going to have extensive show notes with um, all your information listed and where people can get your book and your audiobook, which I highly recommend. Um, it is, it is, you did an excellent job reading it. And I am an audiobook fanatic. I have Thank well, you. Over, well over 100. You did an excellent job. And reading you in double speed or listening to you in double speed. So good. So That's good. gotta be a little awkward. I've been like, I did it. <laughs> but my heart is attuned to the ab dab dab It's it's just set there. <laughs> I have an inner squirrel inside of my heart. Awesome. Amen. Well, Alrighty. thanks so much. We totally appreciate it. Yeah, good times, good times. Arlene, thanks for jumping in at the last minute. You're the best. No problem. No problem. Alrighty. Y'all have a good night. Bye. Are you who? Are you who? The person you are looking for is looking for. <laughs>